This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. I'd like to start off by noting that we will be speaking with Stephen J. Harper in our second segment today. Mr. Harper is an adjunct professor of law and I would say an expert on things related to Trump, not just Russiagate, but how he loused up the COVID-19 epidemic. Mr. Harper is currently following what's going on with the insurrection hearings, and to my shocking surprise, had a timeline on that that I was not fully aware of. It appeared on the BillMoyers.com site. It was titled Insurrection Timeline, First the Coup and Then the Cover-Up. This dates to March 7th, 2021. We're going to talk to him about that and his recent posting on uh, who may or may not be a hero in all of this. Just a little hint, we're finding heroes hard to find. Mr. Millen promises he's not going to play a rendition of Billy Don't Be a Hero Bar for us. And for that, we should thank him. I guess I should start out today's program by noting that is, I'm a little bit ashamed of the fact that on last week's show when I was mentioning the Lick Observatory, I blanked out on the name of the mountain it's perched upon. That would, of course, be Mount Hamilton. I've known that my whole life, but somehow when I went looking for the data, it just wasn't there. I'm sure that all of you have experienced similar difficulties in life. And we've been having some fun with memes lately. Somebody posted this one, I'm not sure who, but I, I, I find it irresistible. It went out under the headlines, one of the best openings in a book. The image included chapter one of thermodynamics and statistical mechanics. And part 1.1, the introduction begins thusly. Ludwig Boltzmann, who spent much of his life studying statistical mechanics, died in 1906 by his own hand. Paul Ehrenfest, carrying on the work, died similarly in 1933. The intro then goes on. Now it is our turn to study statistical mechanics. But I'm afraid I have to add, maybe not. And please, don't write in to inquire what is statistical mechanics because we don't know. But we've noted that it does seem to bring down people who devote their time to it, so we're going to skip it. The Washington Post had a few words that will uh, relate to our discussion in part two today. Uh, Jennifer Rubin, writing in the Washington Post, asked, What the heck is Attorney General Merrick Garland up to? Over seven weeks, the January 6th committee has made far more progress than the Department of Justice at linking former President Donald Trump to potential crimes. Closing with, If a president who tried to engineer a violent coup escapes prosecution, it would amount to the greatest failure in the department's history. Anyway, we assume there's still time to act on that, as apparently there is time for Merrick Garland to act on his inquiry into the O.J. Simpson case. It's our understanding here at Radio Parallax that evidence has been presented to Mr. Garland that O.J. may have violated the rights of his wife and Ron Goldman. We hope that once the Attorney General has had a chance to look into this thoroughly, he, he may also act on that one. We'll see. And we seem also... Uh, pretty sure about the fact that the death of Ivana Trump has not gotten on Merrick Garland's radar. Apparently, New York City's chief medical examiner concluded that Ivana died of an accidental fall down the stairs of her townhouse. Evidently, she suffered fatal injuries to the thorax. And yes, we will grant that such things can happen accidentally, no, no doubt about it. 
But in pondering this, I, I hearken back to my college days, wherein I at one point found myself hanging out with a guy whose father was a prominent East Bay attorney. His near-do-well son was relating a tale at one point of how it was his dad, you know, sometimes just hated what he did when he was a lawyer. I guess in some capacity, the son acted as an assistant. He described how bummed his dad was when he got a guy off for murdering his wife. In the telling of the tale, it was pretty evident that the guy had beat the hell out of his wife, fatally. But that the excuse offered up in the courtroom was that she had fallen down the stairs. Now, the guy relating this story thought it was bunk. Evidently, his old man thought it was bunk. But his job was to get the guy off. And evidently, he did. But he did have a twinge of remorse about it. And isn't it nice to know that he, he had that moment of conscience that probably lasted all the way up to going to the bank and cashing the check? And we hasten to add, we have no evidence that there was any foul play involved in the demise of Ivana Trump. And we feel pretty certain if there was any such evidence... Her former husband would, making, would be making a tireless search for the real killers. I think we need a sound effect at this point like a wah, 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 Mr. Millen. Anyway, you do have to love the fact that Ivana uh, kept the Trump name, even though she was remarried twice. I don't know how you do that. In the 2017 interview, she said she had a direct telephone line to Donald Trump in the Oval Office. She said to Melania Trump, I don't want to cause any kind of jealousy. But basically, first Trump's wife, okay? I'm the first lady. Man, birds of a feather flock together. I don't know whether you've been, dear listener, to Great America, the theme park in the Bay Area, but if you've never been and want to go, well, you better better put a move on because they're going to close it. Yes, apparently real estate weasels have snapped up the, uh, the property, given its uh, ideal location in Silicon Valley, and I'm sure we can expect that it will be replaced by numerous townhouses. It's kind of a sad legacy if you live in the Bay Area. Uh, If you do, you may remember that San Francisco used to have a wonderful place to go called Playland at the Beach. It, too, fell afoul of a real estate developer that bought snapped up the property and was supposed to build apartments. Uh, My understanding is that he never did and went bankrupt. And his obituary referred to him as the man who closed down Playland at the beach to much universal hatred. Down in San Jose Way, there used to be a, a theme park called Frontier Village. It also disappeared under the real estate expansion in the Bay Area, as did, as far as I know, Santa's Village, which used to be on Highway 17 between Los Gatos and Santa Cruz. As a kid, I visited all of them, and I'm Sorry to see that they no longer exist. And in my opinion, it's not made up for the fact that we now have all of those smart townhouses. I think at this point we'll jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. note that it was a good week last week for psychopaths and mass murderers with the news that gun manufacturer Sig Sauer is about to release the MCX Spear, which is a civilian version of the United States Army's new NGSRW, Next Generation Squad Weapon Rifle. It's going to appear in the America streets. We can now expect this 
to appear on our streets as if the AR-15 wasn't bad enough. An article on the DailyCoast.com notes that the Next Generation Squad Weapon, NGSW, is a U.S. military program created in 2017 to replace the M4 carbine, also the M249 SAW, light machine gun, and also the 7.62mm M240 machine gun. They'll all be replaced with this common system that fires 6.8mm cartridges, which on the face of it doesn't sound too terrible, except that uh, then-Army Chief of Staff General Mark Milley told the Army Times some years back that this is a weapon that could defeat any body armor, any planned body armor that we know of in the future, and is a weapon that can go out at ranges that are unknown today. This prompted Ryan Boosie, a former firearms company executive, who's now a senior policy analyst with the Giffords Law Center and author of Gunfight, My Battle Against the Industry That Radicalized America, he said it'll shoot through almost all the bulletproof vests that are worn by law enforcement in the country right now. So yes, this is a literal war weapon that Sig Sauer is unleashing upon America, and its only purpose is to defeat body armor and turn gun victims into a red mist. It's noted that the eye-watering $8,000 price tag will probably keep it out of the hands of your average young school shooter, but an older guy like Stephen Paddock could certainly afford such a weapon. And Sig Sauer's entire advertising campaign for this weapon and others revolves around putting military weapons into civilian hands. Their website quoted the president and CEO Ron Cohen as saying the civilian weapon was a near match to what would become the military's new standard infantry weapon. He said, quote, this is a rare opportunity for passionate consumers to own a piece of history. This first production run, MCX Spear and all the revolutionary technology behind its development is being offered to the commercial market in a configuration that is a near match to our new NGSWR submission to the military. Apparently they've already sent out 2,500 to 5,000 of the weapons and they're an instant hit despite their price. I'm reminded of John F. Kennedy's remark after he was uh, shown the military's plan for a nuclear war which pretty much involved bombing both Russia and China back into the Stone Age, that's causing him to mutter, and we call ourselves a civilized nation. And yes, it's an open question. How is it we can allow a gun manufacturer to loose such weapons out on us, the American populace? Anyway, on a somewhat lighter note, we would note that it was a bad week last week for Alan Dershowitz. Turns out that the celebrity law professor has, is now complaining that he hasn't been asked to speak at a library, a synagogue, or anywhere on liberal Martha's Vineyard because of his impeachment defense of Donald Trump. Said Dershowitz, I have been canceled. Well, as far as we're concerned, he hasn't been canceled enough. There is also that small matter of him hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein and the uh, supposed um, interactions with underage females, or at least one anyway. Yeah, yeah, we, we know he's innocent until proven guilty. Just like O.J. Simpson, who by coincidence, Alan Dershowitz also served as an attorney for. Anyway, we're very impressed with Dershowitz. Uh, anyway, we're very impressed with Dershowitz's history here at Radio Parallax, you know, serving as counsel to both O.J. Simpson and Donald Trump. We imagine that he's sorry that he never got a chance to help Charles Manson. And we know that sounds a bit snarky, but, you know, we are talking about Alan Dershowitz. And speaking of Donald Trump, it was an ugly week last week for persisting with the news that Wisconsin Assembly Speaker Robin Vos 
said that Donald Trump called him last week to demand he overturn Joe Biden's 2020 election victory in Wisconsin. In a statement, the Donald, which is the name that Ivana put on him, called Voss a longtime professional rhino who was letting Democrats get away with murder. Well, I don't think so, but, you know, if they can make that stand up, maybe Robin Voss can hire Dershowitz. Anyway, and speaking of murderers, as I guess we are in some capacity, it turns out that uh, war criminal Henry Kissinger has a new book out. Apparently, the veteran strategist, as he's described by The Economist, examines the qualities that he thinks made six leaders great. One of the leaders, by the way, is Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was, of course, encouraged by Henry Kissinger to bomb the hell out of Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam and any place else he could think of to show how tough he was. Among his other distinguishing characteristics, uh, Kissinger was known for, shall we say, doing what was best for Kissinger. For example, going before the world press and announcing that he thought peace was at hand in Vietnam just before the election was excellent job security for Henry the K. We thought of Kissinger a few weeks ago we were talking about Watergate because once Nixon was out of office and no longer able to... uh, be a benefactor to Henry Kissinger, he decided then he was going to help Bob Woodward describe the final days in the White House, including the quote to Kissinger from Nixon saying, please don't tell them that I wasn't strong, Henry. Don't tell them that I cried. And of course, it appears that Kissinger couldn't wait to tell Bob Woodward that he wasn't strong, and then he asked him to not tell him that he cried, because that's, that's the kind of guy, you know, a war criminal is. Why people are continuing to listen to this 99-year-old murderer is beyond us. Of course, I guess I think of that line from Chinatown, where John Houston says, Ugly buildings, whores, and politicians get respectable if they last long enough. Although to our mind, he never has gained respectability and, and never will. And looking at a collection of lesser murderers, and when I say that I'm looking at the July 19th issue of the East Bay Times, I was struck by the fact that page A4 was completely dominated by mass killers. Article at the top of the page, State Police Launch Internal Uvalde Review. Yeah, of course, it does seem they may want to look into the fact that 376 law enforcement officers showed up at the school and did not try and take down the killer, at least. I'm not sure how, how he did finally die. Maybe he committed suicide and solved their problem for them. Column on the left, Dateline, Florida, Fort Lauderdale. The prosecutor is seeking the death penalty for the gunman who massacred 17 people at Parkland, Florida. Detailed for jurors how Nicholas Cruz mowed down his victims. Nice. The article right next to it. Police laud armed man who killed mall attacker. Yes, apparently an armed man was able to mow down the mass killer, Elijah Dickens, before he was able to shoot more than three people. We applaud his quick action, but uh, the truth of the matter is it's very seldom that the good guy with the gun takes out the bad guy with the gun. Here's a headline from the article below it. Buffalo supermarket shooter arraigned on federal charges. And a little bit less murderous story next to that, we have six from white supremacist group appeared in court, noting that six of the 31 members of a white supremacist group who were arrested near a northern Idaho pride event pled not guilty Monday to misdemeanor charges of conspiracy to riot. All I can say to all this is, what the hell? And continuing the mode of, what the hell, we have this. BMW is taking heat for charging drivers $18 per month to warm their seats. 
Apparently, the German car maker has been following the Netflix model in putting features behind subscriptions. Dating back to 2020, this requires owners to make monthly or one-time payments to unlock already installed features, such as automatic high beams or adaptive cruise control. Critics call the move greedy, but owners fear over the subscription model hit another gear last week when they realized that their front seat warmers were now behind the paywall. In this case, BMW owners have all the necessary components, but BMW has placed a software block on their functionality that buyers have to pay to remove. Mr. Millen says, anonymous hacking group, hello. Well, those tech people certainly are innovative when it, when they, when it comes to figuring out ways to monetize their interactions. Yeah, I suppose in this case, it's more a matter of the, uh, the weasels running the company than it is your, your, your grunts that are the tech guys, but um, good God. A few days ago, I was shopping in my local hardware store and noticed bottle after bottle after bottle of Roundup, which might explain the headline that the controversial herbicide linked to cancer has been found in more than 80% of urine samples taken from U.S. adults and children. That's according to cbsnews.com. Researchers from the CDC examined data from a survey in 2013 and 2014 involving 2,300 people. They found detectable traces of glyphosate, the weed killer sold as Roundup, in 1,885 samples. Of course, if you think about it, that means that 400 people were Roundup-free. Toxicologist Alexis Temkin said glyphosate is the most widely used herbicide in the country, yet until now we had very little data on exposure. The chemical has been classified as a probable carcinogen by unit of the World Health Organization. Bayer, who owns Roundup producer Monsanto, has been hit with thousands of lawsuits filed by people who say it gave them cancer. Despite claiming that glyphosate isn't carcinogenic, the German company has paid out more than $10 billion in related settlements. We're going to have to inquire with our resident toxicologist Howard McKinney about this whole Roundup story. When we last spoke to Howard, he was bound for New Mexico where he was going to attend a snake venom conference. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Howard is a guy that knows how to have a good time. And I bet he gives me grief for making that statement when he comes back from vacation. Because if the truth be told, Howard does know how to have a good time. And speaking of drugs, we have a supposedly new finding in the world of medicine that we've been telling you about in this program for, I don't know, 20 years. Let me quote from The Economist on this. How most medicines work, their magic is understood. But for some, it remains a mystery. Among the most mysterious are a group of widely used antidepressants called Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors, SSRIs, the best known of which is Prozac. Notes the magazine, for decades, doctors believed SSRIs operated by boosting levels of of serotonin, a chemical which carries signals between neurons in the brain. This supposition was based on the hypothesis that a lack of serotonin caused depression. But a growing number of investigations suggest that theory does not hold water, a conclusion hammered home by a roundup of reviews of just such work published in Molecular Psychiatry. And darn it, I think I missed the, uh, the article on this because I guess I let my subscription to Molecular Psychiatry lapse. Now, as we've reported on this program, I'm sure a a long, long time ago, hearkening back to the time when I was a uh, young medical student, these drugs were being pushed as antidepressants because they were safer than some of the alternatives like 
MAO inhibitors. And while there is absolutely no doubt that these are safer medications, there has always remained a great deal of doubt that they did what they're supposed to. I remember seeing videos back in medical school days where the manufacturers were explaining how, what it was that these drugs increase serotonin and, and therefore, um, well, the reason you're depressed must be that you, you don't have enough serotonin. Never mind that the evidence that this actually helped people who were depressed has always been weak. And as we reported, study after study after study over the years has shown that SSRIs appear to be no better than placebo. Of course, we should hasten to add, placebos work. If there's any doctor out there that can't make the placebo effect work for him or her, he or she's in the wrong profession. Anyway, I love the way the article closed in The Economist. Already, clinical practice is changing to emphasis dealing with environmental triggers of depression, such as adversity and poor coping skills, rather than deploying drugs. God, what a concept. And by the way, if you're on SSRIs, I would like to point out that it is one of the major causes of erectile dysfunction. In men taking the drug Effexor, for example, that is a side effect that hits something like 80% of patients. And we have to add, you know, if they weren't depressed enough before they started taking the medicine. But honestly, if you are on an SSRI, please consider coming off of it. They were originally envisioned as a help to someone who was depressed, not something you put them on for the rest of their life. Anyway, enough of that. Let's talk about another medical-slash-metabolic issue that yours truly had never really pondered. Well, that's not exactly true. I mean, the, the issue here is lactose intolerance. Everyone in medicine knows something about lactose intolerance. Or should. Lactose, or milk sugar, is something that we are pretty much all able to digest, whether we're, you know, a human being or a kitty cat, when we are young. But as we get older, the capacity to make that particular enzyme seems to be lost in a large percentage of the population. Of course, this is quite dependent on a person's race or ethnicity. A large percentage of Europeans and an equally large percentage of Africans don't have a problem with lactose intolerance later in life. But this unfortunately seems to be the case for most Asian populations. The Chinese, for example, are not noted for their cheeses. And yet, it turns out that the population of Mongolia, which has similar DNA and similar, at least in theory, lactose intolerance, gets by digesting all sorts of milk, yogurt, cheese, or irag, a slightly alcoholic fizzy beverage that... uh, Mongolians are fond of. And I would add that when I was in Mongolia, I, I did try some fermented, I think it was mare's milk. And I suppose if you really are determined to get drunk and that's all you have, that's the route you'll take. But I don't think it's going to catch on in, uh, you know, in the cocktail lounges of America anytime soon. But anyway, back to Mongolia. They got cows, they got goats, they got sheep, they got yaks. And... They love to supply tourists with heirloom dairy products in certain rural areas of the country. And make no mistake about it, this is also consumed domestically. Anyway, I have a report here that archaeogeneticist Christina Werner decided to head to Mongolia to examine this phenomenon. The story I have here from getpocket.com notes that Werner traveled to Mongolia and watched for hours as a cooperative called Blessed by Yak transformed milk into a dizzying array of foods. Each family she visited had a half dozen dairy products or more in some stage of production around a central hearth. 
This article describes a lot of stuff I, I didn't get around to trying. I, I did also try camel milk, by the way, and um, I'd say stick to the cow. But they mentioned roasted curds called igzi. They look like burnt popcorn. They're dry, and they can last for months if you store them in a cloth bag. The article notes that scientists once thought dairying and the ability to drink milk went hand in hand, which he found in Mongolia has pushed her to posit a new explanation. Sitting in homes made from wool, leather, and wood, she was struck by the contrast with the plastic and steel kitchens she was familiar in the U.S. and Europe. Mongolians are surrounded by microscopic organisms, the bacteria that ferment the milk in their assorted foodstuffs, the microbes in their guts, and on their dairy-soaked felt of their yurts. The way these invisible creatures interact with each other, with the environment, and with their bodies creates a dynamic ecosystem, it is noted. Now, the the researcher is working on sampling the herder's microbiomes, but another team apparently has already gathered evidence that the Mongolian bacterial makeup differs from those found in more industrial areas of the world. If these ecosystems can be charted out, they might help explain why the population is able to eat so much dairy and offer clues to help people elsewhere who are lactose intolerant. Mariner is convinced that the Mongolian affinity for dairy is made possible by a mastery of bacteria 3,000 years or more in the making. By scraping gunk off the teeth of steppe dwellers who died thousands of years ago, she's been able to prove that milk has held a prominent place in the Mongolian diet for millennia. That's true that if you are lactose intolerant, you can get, uh, you know, various products that uh, are low in lactose, or you can even sometimes find the enzyme itself to help you digest. But wouldn't it be cool if they had a bacterial culture they could put, say, into yogurt, and you could eat some of that, and then afterwards, uh, you know, have all the dairy you wanted? There's got to be something to this, although it's estimated just one in 20 Mongolians has the right genetics to allow them to digest milk, there's few places in the world that put as much emphasis on dairy products. Anyway, it's an interesting article. You you may want to take the time to to look it up. It does note that over the past couple centuries, industrialization, sterilization, and antibiotics have dramatically changed our ecosystems, the ones that lie within all of us, underneath a superficial diversity of flavors. Things like sushi, pad thai, and pizza, food is becoming more and more the same. Large-scale dairies even ferment items like yogurt and cheese using lab-grown starter cultures, which is a $1.2 billion industry dominated by a handful of industrial producers. It's estimated people eating commoditized cuisine lack an estimated 30% of the gut microbe species that are found in remote groups still eating traditional diets. In 2015, Werner was part of a team that found that bacteria in the digestive tracts of hunter-gatherers living in the Amazon jungle have all but vanished in people who consume a selection of typical Western fare. Interesting stuff. A lot of good may come of this uh, archaeogenetics and bacteriology. And when it does, we'll tell you about it. But let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. (laughs) 